I think that's a great fulfillment in life if we step out just to try to help one child in need or one young people in need. Don't hesitate to actually step out, take risks, even just one child or you know neighbor. Just do it. <laughs> Welcome to the Mind Shift Podcast. I'm Chris Kandaya. Around the world, there are around 5.4 million children in orphanages. Each year, millions of pounds and dollars are sent to support orphanages and thousands of people volunteer or visit them. The best evidence shows that orphanages are not good for children and there are far better ways for vulnerable children to be cared for. A mind shift is needed and that's why this podcast exists. In this episode, we're going to speak to Kit Ying Chan, who's the Director of Services at Mother's Choice in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong is one of the wealthiest cities on the planet and yet still uses orphanages as its main means of caring for vulnerable children. In Hong Kong, there are 4,000 children in institutions. And this is disproportionate considering the scale, size, population, but the wealth of Hong Kong. And so listening to Kit Ying Chan and allow yourself to be challenged about making a difference wherever you are and whatever your background. So I'm excited to be sat with Kit Ying Chan, who is the Director of Services at Mother's Choice Hong Kong. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you. I'm happy to talk to you guys. Excellent. It's nice to see you again. I love coming to Hong Kong and spending time with you guys. We are going to be talking about the care of vulnerable children and maybe a way into that will be for you to share with me a memory from your childhood that's important to you. I think the most impact that related to a child that vulnerable is when I was about 12 and, you know, as growing up as a traditional Chinese family is over 40 years ago, a divorce in my family is not common. So that time, my older brother, as the older son, it's very important as a family. I'm the youngest of five. Divorce, you know, have a marriage breakdown. And it brought so much shame to a family. I remember as an 11 and 12 years old, watching my mom cry, you know, because it's very important, the older son, you know, we do so much like putting in the wedding and all this, and now it doesn't work. And I remember I was in a role like protecting my one and a half years old nephew at that time. His mom laughed, not divorced yet, but they have this argument and mm. she laughed. But then during the next few years, I was witnessing watching like the court situation mm. and then and finally, after a year being with our family, my mom taking care of her, I involved a lot of also helping caring, and her mom got the custody mm. that he needed to leave us. So at 11, 12 years old, watching my nephew change afterwards in a behavior, and also for a whole year we couldn't see him. And uh, I think that is probably why I choose what I study and why I'm having a passion. Wow, that's fascinating. I'm hearing a few things here. Correct me if I'm misunderstanding. So within Chinese culture, the bonds between the family are incredibly strong so that a divorce was seen to be very shameful because it's fracturing those strong bonds. And that's interesting, isn't it? That within Chinese families, the sense of security and permanence and connection is all there. And that's why it becomes 
shameful to break one of those bonds. Mm -hmm. And secondly, it seems really, it was quite normal and natural for you as a family mm -hmm. to receive a nephew mm -hmm. to come and live with you. Mm -hmm. This kinship caring mm -hmm. was built into the very fabric of Chinese culture. No one needed to force that to happen. That was just a very natural and appropriate mm -hmm. response. And then thirdly, even though this child had been in a family-based care, mm -hmm. there was still trauma for him to be away from his mum and then be reunited with his mum. And there's some trauma for you as a kind of sibling auntie, carer. Yes, as an auntie. I think, I believe with that time, we don't recognise this trauma. It's mm. definitely afterwards. It's a trauma in me. Mm. And then watching him, some self-harm behaviour that no one understands why, that let me actually study in my university why I chose child psychology. And it gave me some answer that connected. So that's pretty much related to why I'm doing what I'm doing. Wow. Such a young age. I find that really interesting. I was speaking with Craig Greenfield, who runs an organization called Alongside Us, and how he's empowering teenagers to get alongside vulnerable children within one kilometer of their house and offer support and help and encouragement. And just that seed of an idea, it's normal to care for vulnerable people, will probably stay with some of those teenagers for the rest of their lives. And your experience of seeing trauma with your nephew, you know, it planted something important into you that shaped the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So again, a couple of things I see in that is how we disciple and encourage our teenagers and young adults. We can sow the idea of pursuing justice quite early in someone's life. Mm -hmm. Those experiences could be quite defining for someone's future vocation. And secondly, a lot of people have had these personal experiences that sensitize them to the needs of the vulnerable. And there is something quite powerfully prophetic almost about that, that maybe God was using these difficult circumstances to enlarge your heart, that you might be able to join him in this important work. I would think that actually without knowing that, because also the time that is interestingly is also the time because of this crisis in my family, I choose to not believe in Jesus. I actually grew up in a Christian school from very young, you know, very simple heart. I believe in Jesus. But really the family crisis actually also take me away from mm. Jesus for a few years because I felt like, God, you said you love, you know, and my family, my parents, they are good people, you know, mm. quote, quote, good people. Why bad things were happening to good people, you know? Mm. So for a few years, I reject Christians. I reject to go to church. Mm. Really not until I graduated in Hong Kong high school and I went, I have a chance to go to Canada. Actually, I got my university degree in Canada. Not until my first year in university. Also, kind of like you left home, you're already in university, you're looking for, you know, you're in the crossroad. I was in the crossroad, really asking myself question, why was I here? You know, why I want to study? Because I'm not academic person. I am not like love study, you know. Mm -hmm. So being in a university, I didn't know where to go and what to take, you know, mm -hmm. in major. Plus at that time, my English is not very good. You know, mm. you're at university. If you do uh, a lot of psychology, sociology, you need to read a lot. Mm. But then I'm not a computer person. <laughs> well, all my Hong Kong friends, that is a generation everyone go to computer, right? Yes, yes. And I was not in that kind. So I was pretty much in a crossroad. Mm. And I need to say that the first course I remember called Child Development 101. And it's the professor who is so dynamic that really wow. 
turned me around, that got me into what already inside me, as you said, that already there. Yeah. And I realized that my whole learning process is need to be experimental. I remember still right now that I remember the classes he brought his son over to the lecture and really explain, you know, the whole child development. And I suddenly felt like this is me. And without like still English, still you know, kind of learning, but something really draw me and interest me. And then I felt like I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. The experience of studying as a way back to God and a way back to finding your identity. Sometimes when people think about ministry amongst university students, mm-hmm. we ignore the subject they're studying and we just do kind of general Bible study mm-hmm. as if it was a youth group. But you're saying actually the experience of studying child development was part of the way that you found your vocation and that's led you on in your relationship with God. Yes, definitely. Also because of one video talking about a divorced family. Mm. I was watching that video. I was crying and crying. I run home afterwards, have my prayer. Mm. I believe that prayer led me. Also, I just pray God. In growing up in Hong Kong, we don't know orphanage. In my generation, it's already very rich, you know, very high standard in school and others. So in my mind, I don't know orphanage, but I pray that God, I want to actually help someone who is in need. And that's just my prayer. When most people think of Hong Kong, they think of crazy high-rise buildings, massive financial transactions going on, everything's high-tech, you've got brilliant transport systems, it's a wealthy place. And you're telling me that there are orphanages there. I think most people would assume orphanages are for poverty-stricken countries, they're for places like sub-Saharan Africa or the villages of South America, not one of the wealthiest places in the world. Why are there orphanages in Hong Kong? See, Hong Kong doesn't call them orphanage. So as I grown up, I only know that's one place, you know, in Chinese Poland, Kok, okay? We all grown up knowing inside Poland, the kids are orphans, okay? Mm. But then we use children's home. So my generation growing up, even in school, you don't have program like you go for volunteer and all this. So I have no idea until I graduate from university, we turn back to Hong Kong intentionally looking for actually where's children's home in Hong Kong? Can I do some volunteer work? Because again, my final decision for my university degree is child psychology and sociology. But I didn't know like what kind of job I'm looking for. Mm. The one thing I know I don't want to do, even though I love children, is I don't want to be teacher in a school. So I returned to Hong Kong the first summer. I decided let's search around for children's home Mm. if I can do some volunteer work. So help me with this again. The stats that are regularly talked about with children in institutions is that most of them have living parents. It's unusual for a child to be a double orphan in that both their mother and their father are dead and within Chinese culture as we said earlier it's usual that if a nephew or a niece is in trouble the wider family would receive them in so why are there children in children's homes when it's a normal part of Chinese culture anyway to receive another child 
and we're not talking about abject poverty. I think Hong Kong Public Go went through different stages of the social need. Okay, for the last eight years, my experience and observation is really not exactly a poverty situation, but surely there's a social problem of family structure、mm. broken. And the drug issue, and then the parents who like have issue. So those are the situation that we know that right now kids kind of stuck in the system in the way. Also, how I think that the system is like encouraging the welfare. It's like if you cannot care for your child right now, might be put in the foster first,、mm. thinking of like. Only temporary, but then it becomes like, of course, you know, longer time. Also, Hong Kong, a situation is voluntary putting your child into a foster. If you think like, oh, you know, I'm a single mom, maybe I'm working right now, I can look after, then they also can approach the social worker say if、okay. there's any service. Yes. Okay. So a, a little bit of like this、mm. as well. It's more likely that a child will be in a children's home because they've been relinquished than it is they've been removed because of child abuse or neglect. Is that right? Yeah, I think both now. Okay, so definitely the increasing numbers of child being taken away from the at-risk situation.、Mm. That as our service as Mother's Choice, we recognise this more now.、Mm. So. That's increasing numbers. And has there been a generational shift? Because I can't imagine it was easy for your parents, who already had five children,、mm-hmm. to then receive a nephew into the family home. And I understand in my visits to Hong Kong, space is an issue, and so to receive another child is going to be sacrificial. Is less of that kinship caring happening? Is it due to wider family breakdown, or is it due to a cultural shift that people would think actually institutional care is a better solution or a different solution? I think the kinship, in the way that we don't call kinship, but grandparents kind of like still want to care for their grandkids, is still the culturally still strongly there. I think the situation of like right now, the kids need to be out of the home care. A lot of time, really, right now is the at risk situation.、Mm. I think that the Hong Kong situation is like the drug issue, the mental health issue,、yes. are more aware now. The social worker will be more sensitive to recognize that abuse situation、okay. that will take the child away from home.、Yes. And in the UK, and in America, and in Australia, in Canada, if that was the situation. It's very unusual for a child to go straight from that situation into a children's home. Foster care would be the、yes. normal route,、mm-hmm. and only if multiple failed foster placements, maybe extreme behavioural challenge, or very much older children, would there be a children's home used, and then mostly in a therapeutic or remedial way, that it would be for a short time until. Another family-based placement would happen. Why is the children's home the first port of call, if you like, not foster care? The foster care right now in Hong Kong, the government-run foster care is quite sort of foster family right now. You know, as a whole city, somehow the last few years, I think the government also facing the challenge recruiting families willing to be foster family. Okay, even they try to actually increase. They did increase the monthly subsidize, but people respond to be willing to be a foster family is like less and less. Okay, that's one thing, and I think the increasing numbers of the children's needs because the last few years that the child abuse. 
crisis situation really come up because we have a couple of kids actually die. That really the government pay attention. Of course, the reaction is like get the kids out. Then it becomes increasing numbers of needs, mm. and then not enough family. Mm. So we see the gap. That the whole placement in Hong Kong, the last year is really facing a huge challenge. So that's why we have numbers of babies even stuck in hospital, mm. which is not the medical issue, but then they don't have a place to go. Wow. So babies being unnecessarily hospitalized mm. because there's just not enough capacity, and some of this may be. A quick reaction because of the scandals and the terrible circumstances. We've seen similar things happen in the UK after some very public cases mm -hmm. of children that were really badly treated and end up dying as well. So a big spike in numbers of children coming to care. Do you have a sense of the kind of numbers that we're talking about? I mean, what's the total population of Hong Kong, and how many children do we think we might be talking about? I think the latest statistic is about four thousand children are in under the social welfare support. It's categorized. As foster home, emergency foster home, institutions, and you know, small group home, boys home, girls home. And what's the total population of Hong Kong in general? Seven million. So that's similar to London's size for our listeners. And actually, I think we would have more children in care in London than four thousand. So that's interesting. What do you see as the future hope? Of family-based care in Hong Kong, where do you see the numbers might come from? Who might be able to foster children until some of them might be reunited with families that have been rehabilitated, or the long-term possibilities of things like adoption? How do you see the hope of things changing in Hong Kong? It's definitely the increasing numbers of leads from our pregnant girl service is choosing parenting. Instead of choosing adoption in the last ten years, and then parents with like. Even though drug mom and challenging family, basically the birth moms still want to choose mm. family reunion. So we see the trend actually is like family reunion. Okay, so as an organization, Mother Choice, we also because of that, we ourselves need to actually change mm. our intervention program and to really learn what does that mean, how to strengthen families. So this is something that you see the change in the society. And instead of using the children's homes, mm -hmm. what do you think would make the difference so that maybe foster care or adoption for those children that can't be reunited with family? Where do you think we'll see that change? Hong Kong is very unique. Hong Kong is a very rich city. People look at it all like, oh, you know, they have everything. But yet, I think the last few decades, we see the poor and the rich is also big gap, right? Mm. We do see there's a resource of another type of families that I think we haven't actually tapped in, uh, which Mother's Choice started a few years ago. Partnership with the church, mm. and we see family like are more educated. They doesn't have a lot of understanding about the needs mm. in the society because they never heard about it. But yet they actually have a lot to give. And so, as Mother's Choice, we try to bridge that. Mm. That's why we come up a new program three and a half years ago called Project Bridge. It's actually a foster program. We really see there's a potential. Mm. Collaborating with church mm -hmm. and call out families from church, and that's the solutions. I think the government 
trying so hard to recruit from just ordinary city, and they struggle.、Mm-hmm. It's because I can see the families still struggling themselves. So I think if we can get the church to respond. It's really become a great testimony、mm. to the government. Yes, I agree. We're seeing a similar thing in the UK in that Christians are stepping forward and stepping into the gap, particularly around adoption.、Mm-hmm. Um, Christians are driven not by family completion, so it's not about infertility.、Mm-hmm. It's about how can we be the best parents that we can、mm-hmm. find for these children, and often willing to take the children that are hardest to place.、Mm-hmm. So, with many additional needs, or with a brother or sister that needs to come to, and you're right, the government is noticing. In terms of the cultural challenges,、um, this concept of the wider family might care for their own, but to care for another child that's no biological connection—that's a bit of a jump. Do you think there are specific challenges within a Chinese context for that? Definitely, in this time, I think、uh, Hong Kong also is a very busy city, extremely busy. That you know, everyone is so occupied by everything.、Yes. Plus, I think the culture is still very much looking at raising kids as a burden because they look at education is so important. They look at like how to invest in a child is so important. Even I don't have enough resource for my own kids. How can you actually share with? Other, so that's definitely a cultural shift mm. there. Mm. So the challenge is there, but I think, as you say, if we go back to the Bible, the biblical foundation, that we need to look at it in a different way. We're calling this podcast the Mind Shift Podcast, and as you're engaging with, I guess, some of the specific challenges of affluence and busyness, and challenging on space for families to live, maybe the need for both. Parents to be working and you know relying on grandparents as extra childcare resources. You've got that, but then we've got the scriptural challenge to all of us. In your experience, are there particular Bible passages or ideas or doctrines that seem to have cut through for people when people do come forward from the church? What are they saying? Is the thing that made them think, you know, what this wasn't on my radar, it wasn't in my family plan, but now I get it. Are you hearing particular stories? Not actually, really in a big general local Hong Kong churches. Because my own experience growing up spiritually is actually mentored by a global mission. That I think for me to experience Father Heart of God is not from my local church. And I also learned that church itself locally is also very busy <laughs> <laughs> with all their own ministry.、Yes. That you know is very academically looking at you know different part of ministry, but really missing the whole foundation of、mm. simply the Father Heart. Of God,、hmm. and it's actually the most basic thing. I felt like if I did not have a different kind of spiritual nurturing, I would not have that revolution、wow. myself.、Yeah. So I think for Hong Kong, overall churches, I think it needs some. It needs God's. You know, the revival is really God's heart, and the whole spiritual biblical meaning of adoption.、Hmm. And I remember, for me, my whole spiritual turnaround is actually that conviction,、mm. myself, but not through my local church. <laughs> <laughs> so that raises some interesting questions in my mind. That some people are saying the time of global mission is over. We don't need people travelling. That we should just be allowing the indigenous church to do its、mm. job. I think there's some truth in that.、Mm. That sometimes missionaries from the West. 
sometimes don't come with the humility that they ought to and they come with prepackaged programs but from your experience it was being part of the kind of global mission community if you like that awoke you to things that you hadn't seen in your own spiritual formation already so it, it does seem that there is room for cross-fertilization of ideas spotting each other's blind spots I'm sure if missionaries came from Hong Kong to England, they would see things in my culture that I don't see as a local Christian. So maybe there is room for that cross-cultural dialogue between us. I believe so. I just think even our conference where we are now, where we're without orphans, I'm sitting here, I was it's like exactly that interaction because if we do it just as an academic social way to solve problem, you know, set a program in your own nation or country without the biblical foundation. I just think it's really, we still don't have the outlets. That's right. It's true. There have become neglected areas of scripture. And some of that is because we are all reading the Bible coming from somewhere. You know, we are shaped sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse by our own experiences of family and culture and theology. For many years I was reading the Bible and I didn't see the Father heart of God as you describe it or the notion of hospitality or the centrality of the doctrine of, of adoption. And so it, maybe it's only as we get out of our normal culture and denominational tribes that we'll hear that. And so I think your experience, you know, looking back, you can see how God used various elements of your life. You know, if you hadn't had that experience of caring for your nephew, if you hadn't have gone and studied in Toronto, if you hadn't come back, then maybe you wouldn't be as effective in the work that you're doing. But I'm sure it wasn't easy and it must have been painful to have those experiences, but God is redeeming those for those vulnerable children that you care for. So it's not unusual in the Bible that someone has what some people describe as a liminal experience. So think of Moses, you know, growing up as a relinquished child, cared for by Pharaoh's daughter, the enemy, who has butchered many, many Hebrew babies. And then he has a cross-cultural experience that goes very badly wrong, where he kills an Egyptian slave master and then runs away to the desert and starts a new family. And it's there, not in his home, not at home anywhere else, in, in a kind of desert space, in a liminal space, that God meets him and commissions him and sends him back. Mm. And I think there are many Christians that God has used mightily that have had those kind of feeling of as an outsider mm. and then being called back in. So it's been fantastic to hear your story. Thank you so much for sharing. Is there anything that you haven't said that you really wanted to say to our listeners? I think that's a great fulfillment in life if we step out just to try to help one child in need mm. or one young people in need, even though we might not know the result. It's somehow, as you say, you know, you don't know actually the plan of your life actually is already there, but mm. you don't know. So one thing I want to say that don't hesitate to actually step out, take risks, even just one child or you know, your neighbor, just do it. <laughs> As I'm thinking about your story, and it, it's very moving, that your parents receiving that nephew in, mm -hmm. they probably were thinking mainly of the nephew at that time, oh, yeah. and maybe were worried about the consequences on you, but actually it's sown something very important into you. And so for me as an adopted dad and as a foster dad, my prayer is that 
the experiences of hospitality that all of my children have had will be part of God sowing something important into them. And so you're encouraging me a lot with your story. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. I love Kit Ying Chan's challenge that we need to just attempt to help one child. If that's all we can manage, that's such an investment in the kingdom of God. Jesus said that we should suffer the little children to come to him. In other words, we should make way and allow children the priority of place of access to who Jesus is and what he's about. And I wonder, is there one child, one vulnerable child within your orbit of influence that you can help? It could be someone within your family that you know is having a tough time. It could be someone in your school. It could be someone within your church. But if you start with that just one child, I'm pretty sure you'll begin to make an impact that will last a lifetime. Thanks so much for tuning in to the MindShift podcast. And don't forget to visit homecomingproject.org to sign up for the learning journey so that you can make a lasting difference in maybe just one child's life. Thank you.